There's a really impactful post on TikTok recently where a young woman outlined her theory about what really happened at the tragic Travis Scott concert that some of you have read about in the news where the crowd pressed in on itself. 300 people were injured because of the crowd crush and 10 people even were killed there. She had a very intriguing theory about it. Uh, first, she looked at a picture of what was going on and the pyrotechnics and all the flames that were going on. And she said, doesn't, doesn't this look kind of, kind of hellish to you, all of this fire and all of this flame? And then she cut to video footage of a testimony of somebody who was there, it was a young man, who said it was so hot and so muggy and the crowd pressed on you so much that you couldn't breathe. He said it felt like we were in hell. It felt like we were at a concert in hell. And then she zoomed out to the set and the decorations and it looked kind of like a cave and all dark and everything. And then then zoomed out even more to the shape of the stage, which was kind of a T-shaped stage. And she said, guys, look at this. Doesn't this look to you like an upside down cross and like the bottom of the cross is going into the stage as if the whole thing were a portal into hell? She never wrapped it up and said, here's what's going on, but she did say, it just doesn't sit right with me, right? Something satanic is going on here, she said. Never put a bow on it, but left it there. And that may sound like kind of an insignificant outlier, but uh, this particular TikTok user has one and a half million followers. And her inclination to put all the pieces together and say something is really going on, I don't quite have it figured out, but something is up out there in the world, uh, is happening all over the place these days. That one theory is just really one spark in a supernova of putting it together, something is going on, conspiracies that are out there in the internet today. Uh, These kind of things used to be confined to just the JFK shooting and the moon landing and things like that and then 9-11. Now there is a conspiracy about almost anything you could think of out there. You may have come across some of them yourself. Uh, Maybe someone on the internet has tried to convince you of uh, a secret child trafficking ring run by Hillary Clinton that's really ruling the world, right? It's a very popular one these days. Or someone convincing you that uh, that there are microchips in the vaccine and the microchips are going to take over our brain and this is a conspiracy to control the world, right? Uh, All sorts of things going on out there. When information can exchange that quickly, well, Mark Twain said a long time ago, a a lie can get around the world faster than the truth can get its boots on, right? And, And when things can happen that quickly and a million and a half people can suddenly hear a theory, all of a sudden there are just waves going all over the place. But the question we ought to ask is with some of these, especially the really fanciful ones, Why do so many of us believe them? Why are they so intriguing? And when you hear them, why is there that sense that says, yeah, something something is going on here that doesn't quite add up? Well, these theories uh, play to the natural sense in all of us, the natural view we all have that something is going on behind the scenes, right? That... that eye that we all have that looks around and says, just as that TikTok poster said, it just doesn't sit right. This just doesn't all add up. Something is happening behind the scenes. And what I want to show you this morning in one of the later chapters in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 12, is that the Lord tells us that that sense is in all of us, that sense that there is something unseen going on, someone pulling all the strings, something is happening. 
We sense that because there really is something going on behind the scenes. But you don't have to go search the internet to find it. Uh, the Lord has revealed to us right here what's really going on behind the scenes, why things are so uncanny sometimes, and why sometimes it seems almost as if the rulers of the world, even though they are working against each other, are kind of working together. Why does it feel that way? Well, this morning we look at one chapter that gives us a behind-the-scenes view of human history, of the Bible story, and even of your life. My prayer is that it helps you make sense of history, make sense of the Bible, and even make sense of some uncanny things that may have happened in your own life. Let's look at Revelation 12 together. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God while she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now a war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Then the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The words of the Lord. Through this revelation, the Lord calls his church to persevere through Satan's attacks by revealing the great conflict that is behind human history and even behind your life. Uh, 
I said two weeks ago when we looked at Revelation chapter 1, the whole book of Revelation is a call to persevere. It's called a hang on to Jesus. Uh, He tells us in much of the book things that will soon take place. And in a little bit of the book, like this chapter, things that have already taken place and are taking now. And the point of the whole thing is so that when we get to chapter 21 together, we're all still there. We've all hung on to the end. The point is your endurance through Jesus Christ, through whatever the devil may want to throw at you along the way. Many would say that this chapter is a key to understanding the book of Revelation, or perhaps even a key to understanding the entire Bible, and I would agree with them. I think it helps us to interpret nearly every page of the Bible together. It is divided into three paragraphs, and your Bible may have those same three paragraphs. The first paragraph, verses one through six, sum up for us the history of humanity in the Bible from just about the beginning all the way to Acts chapter one, up to the ascension of Jesus. The second paragraph, verses seven through 12, tell us about another war that is going on behind the scenes in heaven while the first war is happening here on earth. And then the third paragraph, verse 13 all the way to the end, takes us back to the war here on earth and sums up what has been going on ever since Jesus ascended up to heaven, describes the church age for us. Now, as we read that and you heard all of those difficult to interpret symbols and everything going on here, you may have realized we've got our work cut out for us this morning, don't we? We have a lot of work to figure this thing out. And I wonder if some of you are sitting there thinking, Okay, day after Christmas, I just had a huge meal yesterday. I have a gift I can't wait to get home to. I barely made it here today. This is not the day for me to have to engage my mind so much in what we are doing. That's you, I just want you to know there, there is a lot of work to do this morning. There is a lot that we need to do to understand this. But if you will hang with me through the whole thing, I think the end result is rewarding. I think it will reward your Bible reading for as long as you continue to read the Bible and even explain perhaps some uncanny things that are going on in the world and in your life. As well, so if you stick with me, I think it will be worth it. Let's uh, let's dive in to these three paragraphs. The first paragraph tells us that the Old Testament and the Gospels too is a war story between a serpent and a coming child king. That's the point of the first paragraph. The, the Old Testament is a war story between a serpent and a coming child king. This war story begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Let me take you back there before we look at the paragraph. Uh, Some of you are familiar with Genesis 3, all right? The the Lord has created this wonderful garden for Adam and Eve to live in. Uh, It doesn't make it eat of whatever they want to, don't eat of this one tree. A serpent comes into the garden and deceives Adam and Eve into rebellion against God. And this turns everything upside down in the world. It's the reason all the problems are here in the world. In the aftermath of this, the Lord comes to the garden, speaks to the man, the woman, and the serpent. And what he tells the serpent is... I'll put enmity between you and this woman, between your seed and her seed. Uh, He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. So this is a prophecy given, not to the man or the woman, to the serpent. One of her descendants is going to come along and crush you. And it's very important that that's not given to the man or the woman, that's given to the serpent. It's the serpent who's told what is going to happen in the end. He is going to be crushed. That word right there, sets off the war story that we see right here. So there you had a woman who's going to bear a child. The child will crush the serpent. So the serpent obviously has motive to make sure this child does not come, right? Okay, now we go back here to Revelation 12. 
We have here a woman. We have a child king, and we have a dragon who is trying to stop the whole thing from happening. As we look at the woman, she is clothed with the sun, she has the moon at her feet, and she has 12 stars in her crown. You can read all of that in verse 1. These are ancient symbols used in Genesis and elsewhere to represent the people of God, the nation of Israel. Uh, Jacob is often referred to a few times there in Genesis. Uh, So this woman represents the people of God in the Old Testament, the ones who will bring about this child king that is going to come and crush the serpent. Uh, most specifically, that genealogy in Matthew 1 and Luke 2 that goes all the way from Abraham or Adam all the way to Jesus Christ, right? this line that is going to bear the Savior who will crush the serpent. She has a crown on her head to remind us that she is royalty. Uh, she may be here a vulnerable woman crying out in the pangs of childbirth, totally powerless to defend herself, But lest we forget she is also a queen, there is a crown on her head with 12 stars on it. We then have a dragon who, verse 9 will tell us, is that ancient serpent, the devil. The serpent in the garden is the dragon in Revelation. This ancient serpent, this dragon, has seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. These are symbols in the Old Testament used often to refer to the wicked kingdoms that oppress God's people. Horns, crowns, things like that. We also see that this dragon is red. And red is a color in Revelation that is used often to refer to oppression and bloodshed. So we learn something about this dragon's character. Uh, We know he is trying to stop this child from coming How does he do it? Well, we see in verse 9, he's a deceiver of the whole world. He does it through deception. And we see through those crowns and through that color red, he often does it at the hands of wicked kings who oppress the people of God and who oppress others. So his weapons are deception, powerful kings, and oppression and bloodshed. Those are the weapons that he uses to stop this child from coming. And then lastly, we have a child king who we read about in verse 5. He will come, he will rule with a rod of iron once he is born. So all of these kingdoms that the dragon is working through, he will just come with his rod of iron and dash them into pieces. That's the Old Testament imagery that we are given there. But it says he is caught up to, uh, to God and to his throne Uh, This is a reference to the ascension, right? After Jesus does all this, he is caught up to God. He ascends up into heaven. And after that, we see that the woman is taken out into the desert and protected there, which is where we will pick up later. So this is the summary of everything from Genesis 3.15 to the end of Acts chapter 1, where Jesus rises up into heaven. It can be summed up by this woman giving birth and the dragon trying to devour the child, but failing on every occasion because the Lord protects that promised seed. Okay. So if that story summarizes the Old Testament, that can change how we look at a lot of stories, right? Let's go go back to Genesis. Okay, after Genesis 3 comes Genesis 4. Uh, We know now that the woman will bear a child, a descendant who will crush the serpent. 
And Genesis 4 starts uh, with uh, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and she bore a son, right? That sounds like just the course of time to us, but to the serpent who's going to be crushed by one of her descendants, that's very bad news, right? Oh, now this woman has a son, a child has come. And then the very worst things happens for him next, she bears another son and calls him Abel. So now this woman who will bear the one who's going to crush him has two sons and he does not even know which one of them will be the one that crushes him. So he does his deception, he works his oppression through the powerful, persuades the older son to murder the younger son, right? Now he's got power over the older son. He's got him right in his pocket and the younger son is dead, so, ha, 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 nobody can come and crush me now, right? Except how does the story end? Adam knew his wife again, and she conceived again, and she bore Seth. All right, so here's the dragon trying to devour the child as it's born, but the Lord always protects the child. Uh, on and on this happens in the Old Testament. Over and over again, the dragon tries to stamp out the seed of the one who will bring Jesus, but the Lord protects them every time. At one point, the enemy persuades the whole world, deceives the whole world to become so wicked that they get wiped out with a flood, right? They can't, her children can't come stop me if the Lord wipes them all out with a flood, right? That ought to be good news for the serpent, but the Lord preserves just one line, just Noah. So the child is preserved. Later on, we learn that this promised descendant will come from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob even, Abraham's grandson. And so the serpent knows now, focus all my energy on the children of Jacob. That's where my enemy is going to come from. So the story focuses on there 400 years later, they're enslaved by a powerful ruler, a pharaoh. And that pharaoh orders all of the babies born in the kingdom to be killed. What's going on behind the scenes there? The serpent is trying to devour the child as the child can be born, the coming one that is going to crush him. But the Lord protects Moses, the Lord protects the people of Israel, raises up Moses and takes them out with the wings of an eagle into the desert. He takes care of them, right? On and on this will go. Eventually we learn the child is gonna come from David. He'll be the heir of David. And so Satan focuses all of his energy on the descendants of David and the heirs of David and the kings. He tempts some of them to do wicked things. Others, he raises up powerful kings against him. Same story every time, right? Same story every time. The, the dragon is trying to devour the child. The Lord is protecting the child and making sure that it comes. That story can summarize for you your whole Old Testament and even the Gospels as well. Right? Once we learn uh, unto you is born this day a city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, what does Satan persuade the king in the region to do? It's Herod, right? Go after all the babies and make sure we slaughter that boy, right? What's going on behind the scenes? The dragon is trying to devour the child, but the Lord protects the child. Joseph has a dream with an angel, takes the baby off to Egypt where it is protected. The child would grow strong. Jesus would begin to preach. Satan would raise up adversaries against him, Pharisees, Sadducees, kings, others who are working against him, right? Trying to stop what he is doing. And eventually they will conspire against him and kill him. Can you imagine the relief in Satan's heart on that day? Thousands of years I have been working to devour this child king. 
finally, I know who it is, and I got him killed. Finally, he can sit back and rest, and his great enemy is dead. And can you imagine the terror when he got up and rose from the dead to live and reign forevermore, right? The dragon tries to devour the child king, but every time the Lord protects him and protects his people. Uh, And then he is caught up to his throne, to God in heaven. He ascends up into heaven. So that's our first big point today. The Old Testament and even through the Gospels are one war story where a serpent is trying to devour a child king as it is being born and before it can be born, but the Lord protects him every time. Now, that doesn't interact as much with your life as later parts will, except if you read this book every day, and I hope you do, there are probably a lot of stories in there that you're like, why is this in here? Or a lot of genealogies that you're like, why, why did they bother to trace that line? Well, many times that genealogy or that strange story will involve the seed of the woman being protected and preserved. Matthew and Luke are recording how that seed is preserved. Chronicles and many others in Genesis record how this holy line is preserved. And even strange stories, like uh, you read recently uh, the story of Joash in Chronicles, where uh, a, a wicked woman in the house of David rises up and kills everyone in the royal family to make sure that she can rule. And so it's thought that all of David's descendants are dead, right? Except a nurse steals away a little baby named Joash. Some of you are familiar with this story. And hides him away until he's of age and then comes and presents him to the public and says, behold, the heir of David. Now you might read that in your morning quiet times and you're like, what's the point, right? What's going on? Well, if you remember to ask, where's the woman? Where's the child king? Where's the dragon? It all makes sense, right? Satan is using a powerful person to go after the child, but the Lord protects the child every time. So when you're stumped in the Old Testament and when the Gospels, just ask, where's the woman? Where's the child? And what's the Lord doing to protect what the dragon is trying to do to that child? That alone can bring to life so much of what is going on behind the scenes in your Old Testament. Let's move on to the second paragraph. While Jesus was on earth, a cosmic battle was happening in heaven in which Satan was defeated and cast down to earth and no longer allowed to accuse God's people before God. This second paragraph outlines that battle that is going on. You can see in verse seven, a war arose between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. Michael's the archangel, the most powerful angel in heaven. In verses eight and nine, you can see that Satan was defeated and was cast down. And a very important proclamation is made in verse 10. A loud voice in heaven says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even to death. So the proclamation is for those who have the blood of Jesus Christ covering them, the word of their testimony, the ones who trust in Jesus Christ, this Satan who was once in heaven accusing the saints before God is cast down and is no longer allowed to accuse them before God. So essentially, while Jesus is dying, rising, and ascending, 
battle's happening in heaven, Satan gets cast down to earth and is no longer allowed to go up to God's throne and say, do you know what this person did? Like he used to be able to do. You may not be aware that there was once a time when Satan was actually allowed to go before God and bring accusations about the people of God to him. Uh, you can read about this in the book of Job. Uh, Satan goes before God. He says, I've been slithering about through the earth. And then they begin to argue about whether Job is righteous or not. And Satan has some accusations about Job to bring to him. Or you may have recently read Zechariah 3, where Joshua the high priest is seen in a vision before God. And Satan is there hurling accusations about the high priest to God on the throne. In the Old Testament, Satan had the freedom to do this. He could go before the throne and make these accusations about us. Now, because of what Jesus has done and because of the battle that he lost, he is no longer allowed to bring his accusations about us up to our Father in heaven. This is one more benefit we have by the blood of Jesus. Now, what happens as a result is there's much rejoicing in heaven, but verse 12 says, Rejoice, O heavens, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Okay, so he cannot accuse you before God in heaven anymore. But there's a flip side to that. Now he's busier down here because he knows that his time is short. That can explain for a lot of us an everyday experience that most of us have, I think. The endless guilt that so many of us are plagued with. Even those of us who trust in Jesus Christ, right? Sometimes you're just hit with so much guilt. Something we did long ago will come back up and it's almost like someone is whispering accusations in our ear, isn't it? You just walk through your life feeling guilty about this, guilty about that. I know the Lord has forgiven me, but I just can't get over it. That constant feeling of guilt. Well, there's a reason we have that. Uh, those things are being whispered in your ear, Christian, because Satan is making accusations to you about you that he can no longer make to your Father in heaven about you. All those tormenting whisperings about your guilt that you have experienced in your life, those are all things that he is not allowed to say to God anymore. And this is why he is putting so much of his energy into making you feel guilty about each and every thing that you do. How do you overcome him? Well, it says right here in verse 11, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to death. This is how you can conquer that one that whispers accusations in your ear as well. Any accusation he would ever make to you if you were found in Christ Jesus is either a lie or it's paid for him. If you didn't really do it, it's a lie. If you did really do it, Jesus paid for it with his blood. So you overcome simply by saying, my sin is covered by the blood of the lamb. If you're all alone, you don't feel weird about saying something right out loud, you could even say out loud, Satan, be gone. My sin is paid for. Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. When he plagues you with guilt, you have weapons to overcome him with. The blood of the lamb, your testimony that Jesus died for you, and sticking with Jesus all the way to death. That's good news for those of us that are Christians. 
And it's good news that is open to any of you who do not have your faith in Jesus Christ. You may be thinking, looking at this, say, well, I know what I have done. I know it is wrong. I know that if Satan were to try to make a case against me that my life does, does not deserve good things and I don't deserve God's presence, he'd have a pretty good case with what I've done, right? Many of us know that about ourselves and we feel that way. How can we then become one of God's people, one of those that are protected by the blood of Jesus? Very simple answer in the scriptures, faith in Christ Jesus. Receive him by faith. His blood will pay for your sins and his resurrection will guarantee your resurrection on the last day. If you would trust him, that is my call to you. Trust in Jesus Christ to bring salvation to you. If that's true of you, then every accusation that Satan could ever whisper in your ear is either a lie or it's paid for. And on top of that, He's whispering it in your ear because he can't go whisper it in God's ear. So there's much reason to rejoice. That's the second paragraph. Let's move to the third paragraph. Third paragraph takes us back to Earth's story, right? So it was Earth, heaven, Earth. Now we pick up where we left off. Where we left off in verse 6, the woman had been given a path into the desert. The Lord took her into the desert to protect her, essentially. And this describes, we will see in the last paragraph, the state that the church is in right now. Uh, Much like Israel was taken into the desert. So in verse 13, the dragon sees that he's been thrown down to earth, and so he begins to pursue this woman, the faithful people of God, those who brought uh, Jesus Christ into the world. And verse 14 kind of repeats verse 6. The woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Same thing as verse 6. She's taken out into the desert where the Lord is going to provide for her and protect her. That uh, wings of an eagle talk is the same thing that the Lord said to Israel in Exodus. He said, I brought you out of Egypt into the wilderness on the wings of an eagle. And I was using that same picture to talk about the church. Comparing our time right now as a church for the last 2,000 years until he comes back to Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. On one hand, a dry and parched desert that isn't all that fun to walk through. On the other hand, greatly protected by God as Satan is after us the whole time. That's his summary of the church age. We see in the following verses that Satan pours out, that the dragon pours out a flood after the woman, but the earth comes to her help and opens up and takes care of the flood. So he's throwing everything he's got at her. He's doing this because he's angry that he has lost And verse 17 says, the dragon became furious with the woman, right? He can't get to her. He went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Who are those? Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So so that's us, those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So Satan's situation and his strategy have shifted now. He was once trying to prevent the child king from coming. Now the child king has defeated him. And so instead of putting his energy on those who will bear him one day, he now focuses on those who trust him today. He has moved from attacking those who will bear Jesus to attacking those who will trust Jesus. 
And he does this simply out of rage and fury because he has lost. He is a defeated enemy, kicking and screaming, pouring out every flood that he has against us. He rages by tempting the powerful outside and inside the church to abuse the church. Same way he did before, right? What were his weapons? Deception, temptation, powerful kings, oppression, and bloodshed. And he works the same way today. Uh, we see his face uh, over on the other side of the world in President Xi and the Chinese Communist Party in China, don't we? As they are trying to stamp out the church as powerfully as they can. But the Lord protects his church. And the more they try to stamp the church out, the larger the church grows in China, right? This is the story of the church. Satan using powerful rulers in and outside of the church to try to crush the church, but the Lord protects us and makes sure we flourish every time. We see the face of the red dragon over in Afghanistan right now as uh, Taliban uh, soldiers will mark the houses of those that have been inhabited by Christians. Basically, anywhere a Christian used to live, they will mark that house with red spray paint so that the crew knows to come and you got to destroy that house. Why you got to destroy that house? Because a Christian lived there. Right? You see the face of the red dragon in that. And yet the Lord protects his church and preserves his church. We see the face of the red dragon in Iran with the government there that has been trying to stamp out the church for 40 years now. And even today, 40 years after they began that project of stamping the church out, one of the fastest growing church movements in the world is in Iran underneath that leadership. Red Dragon's trying to crush the church. He's angry. He's enraged. He uses powerful kings to do it. He uses bloodshed to do it. But the Lord protects his church. But you don't just see his face outside the church. You see it in the church too, right? And that's nothing new. That happened in the Old Testament. Sometimes it was the heir of David who was the wicked king who you could see the face of the red dragon in. And that happens in the church as well. There have been phases in the church history where the most powerful person in the church was also the greatest villain in the church. And you see the face of the red dragon today in powerful megachurch pastors who abuse their people. And eventually their secrets come out and we know what they have done. But the Lord continues to protect his church. You see the face of the red dragon today in small rural church pastors, or sometimes there's only 50 people, but a pastor can still be a bully over 50 people, right? And you see that face today. You see the face of the red dragon even in Christian husbands who mistreat their wives and their children, right? In the church and outside of the church, the face of that dragon comes and his weapons are deception, temptation, bloodshed, and oppression from the powerful. This is how he works, and this is what he is doing. That can explain why sometimes it kind of feels like the rulers of the world are working together, or almost like there's someone pulling the strings in the story of world government. Well, there is, but it's not a secret committee that's meeting over Zoom somewhere. No, it's a red dragon who has deceived all of them into oppressing the church. But even above him is a good God who comes to the aid of his church and protects us. That's what's really going on behind the scenes. And the Lord reveals it to us even there. This can also explain some things in your own life too. Uh, if you are fighting against any temptation, any regular temptation to sin, I wonder if that temptation feels like a flood, like a flood that can just sweep you away. 
Uh, I talk to people that wrestle with anger sometimes. And it seems like if, if you're somebody who fights anger, there's just no end to the number of things that can set off your anger, right? Your home and your, 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 whoever your family is that you live with do things that are making you angry and you're just about to go nuts. And so you're like, okay, I'll go for a drive and I'll try to cool off, right? And then somebody cuts you off on the road and then you're angry at the guy that cuts you off on the road. And so, oh, okay, so I'll pull into a restaurant here and just see if I can get a hamburger or get some rest from this temptation. And then they mess up your order because they're short-staffed and then they'll get it right. They charge you too much money. Like there's no end of things that could set you off and make you angry if you're wrestling with anger. That can feel like a flood and can feel like there's no way you can stand against it. Why does it feel like that? Well, because the dragon is unleashing a flood against the woman and her children, those that hold to the testimony of Jesus. But the Lord is protecting his people as well. And to make it through it, you don't need to escape the flood. You need to lean on the Lord's protection and let him get you through it. Same thing is true for young men who fight against sexual temptation. There's just no end to the temptation. The number of websites you can go to, the number of people who are dressed this way and that way who are walking around town and people in here, there's no end to that temptation. It's like a flood. How do you get through that? You lean on the Lord's protection of the church as a dragon pours that flood out against the church. So many other temptations are this way. So many sorrows are this way. So much of Satan's work in the world just feels like a flood. But here we have the Lord telling us he will protect us. He's got us guarded. Yeah, we're in the desert, but we're safe there until he comes back. God will nourish you, it says, for all of the 1,260 days that we are in the desert. So one thing we must do is open our eyes to what's really going on behind the scenes, right? We don't need conspiracy theories because we know the real conspiracy. We know what's really happening behind the scenes. If we can keep our eyes on that and keep our hearts fixed on Jesus Christ, we can make it through whatever our enemy throws at us. There is indeed something going on, but we know what it is. A red dragon after his church and a God who will protect his church no matter what. And so the call to you is the same no matter who you are. Cling to Jesus Christ all the way until the end. Let's pray together and ask for strength for that.